This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody to the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. My name is Brian Com, and with me today is not Elon Dabrowski. Elon is taking a well-deserved week to himself after that fantastic episode he did last week on Prospects with Cam Robinson. But this week, I've got my own marquee guest host with me. Catherine Silverman has joined us. Yes, we have fished Cat, who is going to talk to us all about goalies on today's episode. We're going to talk about how to evaluate goalies, what the heck went wrong with our Schmore Goalies Board tiers, and then we'll try and answer some questions about some specific goalies. There are some that are poised to break out next year. There are some that we don't know if we can trust next year, where the league is moving with tandem situations and workloads. And Kat, I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, You know, it's a busy, crazy time. And shout out to all our first responders and healthcare workers and everybody, public health officials shepherding us through this difficult time where it's just important that we're all so much nicer to each other. That's that's my big message. Uh, but this podcast is not about my messages. This podcast specifically is going to be about goalies. Kat, you know a ton about goalies, uh, and we're hoping that you can help us look over all our goalie projections that we made at the start of the season and figure out like where we possibly went wrong. And the answer is everywhere we could have possibly went wrong. But we're hoping you can help narrow it down before we get to that. First, I want to uh, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, who continues putting out fantasy hockey content for everybody to check out. Again, DauberHockey.com for all your fantasy news to keep you busy between releases of Keeping Carlson. But with that, let's get to the show. And before we get into specific names, Cad. I just want to get a sense, you know, I've mentioned a few times and like you've shown your expertise on our show before about how you know goalies. How do you know goalies? Like what's your, uh, what's your process? When you look at a goalie, how do you evaluate them and decide, oh yeah, this guy's good or this guy's random or unreliable or bad? You know, that process has actually kind of changed over the last couple of years for me because I played goal, I coach goalies um, and I've had to like go of a lot of preconceived notions it used to be I would watch a goalie for for certain technical points and then compare them to their stats and 
you know, if a guy wasn't wasn't hitting his edges correctly, if he wasn't playing conservatively in his net, if he was flying all over the place, if he was overhitting his marks, I'd, I'd keep that in mind. And even if his stats looked good, I'd say, well, that doesn't seem to be super sustainable just based on my experience and my expertise. Um, and obviously over the last, I'd say, three or four years, I've started to loosen up on that a little bit because there are certain styles of goaltending that I do not like and Marc-Andre Fleury, but work very well. I try and look at a goalie from a year-to-year perspective, both numerically and technically. You know, you look at a guy like Jake Allen, and numerically his numbers vary a lot. Uh, Technically, his style varies a lot, too. Whereas a guy like Jonathan Quick, numerically his numbers have varied over the last couple years, but stylistically not a lot has changed. So you have to assume that some of it is bad luck and that he'll start to regress away from, I think he started off this year in his first 10 or 11 games with like a 660 save percentage. Right. And there was, there was a likelihood that he was going to regress closer to a mean because he wasn't doing anything differently. It was likely some outlying factors that were changing things. Whereas a guy like Jake Allen, his numbers change drastically, and so does his style. When he's off his game, he looks like a completely different goalie. Uh, guys like Darcy Kemper, when he's off his game, he looks different too. Marc-Andre Fleury, when he's off his game, looks the same. So sort of comparing that, the the continuity there. Is there something us lay people watching hockey and like saying, okay, I have a goalie on my fantasy team. I'm going to watch a game and try and figure out if this guy is off or not. Is there a way we can figure that out from watching one game? Or is this something that we need to like deeply know a whole goalie's body of work to know if they're like struggling because they're not good or they're struggling just because certain aspects of their game aren't like they haven't found them at the moment for lay people it's going to be a little tougher to to evaluate the goalies themselves um but especially when it comes to fantasy hockey um like I know somebody within the Coyotes organization got very upset recently because Darcy Kemper hadn't made a top 10 list in fantasy and somebody had to explain to them it was someone who doesn't really play fantasy that it's not just about the goalie themselves. It's about the team as a whole. And the team was struggling. He'd been hurt. He wasn't getting a ton of wins. So even though his numbers were top 10, he was not. Um, so for fantasy, you know, looking at that bigger picture can help a ton, even if you don't necessarily understand the goaltending techniques themselves. Uh, you can look at, like I said, Jonathan Quick and Jake Allen, two great examples. You look at Jonathan Quick, um, you don't necessarily have to know what he looks like when he overcommits and what he looks like when he's on and off his game. But you can look at the defense around him and get a pretty good idea that even though his numbers aren't great, you don't need to know whether or not it's his fault. You can tell that he's probably not going to be a great fantasy option just because the team around him does not look like it's giving him a chance to succeed whether you know he's good or not. And then you look at a guy like Jake Allen and you say, hey, team around him looks okay. He doesn't look great. Let's look at the other goalie on the team too. That's another really great comparison point. Uh, Using those same two guys again, Jonathan Quick, Jack Campbell was also struggling a ton. When you look at the Blues, um, Jordan Bennington was not. The last time that Jake Allen was really struggling, Jordan Bennington was not. So that's a pretty good sign that 
Jonathan Quick, not his fault. It's the team around him. Jake Allen, not necessarily the team around him because the other goalie's doing just fine. Chances are it's just him. Maybe you want to leave him alone for a little bit. And I actually, I want to talk more about Jake Allen and uh, less Jonathan Quick, but Jake Allen for sure because he had a crazy sort of revival this season. And Bennington, it was like the flip this season uh, of last season, except Bennington wasn't quite as bad this year as Allen was the pri- the prior year. But before we get to that, and before I actually get to my next question, because you mentioned this thing about trying to figure out uh, if it's the goalie or the team around them. First, I just want to like revisit what you said about someone in Arizona management was upset about a top 10 fantasy hockey list. Like I just like from what angle... That's so funny to me that that an NHL uh, front office. So it person... wasn't someone. It wasn't someone necessarily in in management. It was somebody who was employed by the team. Okay. In some capacity, I don't. I don't necessarily want to call them out specifically, but it was someone who's around the team and doesn't play fantasy hockey. Um, okay. So, like, did they, can I, can I just, like, did they, are they, like, buds with Darcy Kemper and we're like, oh, man, like, my, my guy deserves recognition here? Or, like, did they doubt the validity of the whole list? Because, like, I can see, like, other ranking lists being important to organizations and people. I think they kind of doubted the validity of the whole list. I think, uh, particularly in Arizona, I think there's a little bit of a sting mm. because over the last three, I'd say, years... They've had very good goaltending from Auntie Ranta and Darcy Kemper. And last year, Auntie Ranta was out for the whole year, and Darcy Kemper was lights out without Ranta there, helping him by taking away some of those starts. And he didn't really get a ton of Vesna recognition for it. Same issue happened the year prior, where Auntie Ranta really had to play all of the games down the backstretch because they didn't have a ton of backup support. And he had one of the best save percentages in the league, had played one more game than Marc-Andre Fleury. Fleury was one of the top five, I think, finalists for the Vezina, and Ronta didn't get a single vote. So the team gets a little, and the fans, it's not just like the team itself, but everybody in Arizona gets a little touchy that they've had this stellar goaltending and like nobody seems to be paying attention to it. To be fair, I totally agree with the person who was upset that Kemper was not included in these rankings. Like they're total, they're a hundred percent right. And sometimes depending on the source of these rankings, they are dubious. We try and be better than that on the show. Although it took me a while to warm up to Darcy Kemper. It took me a while too. Yeah. And I remember we (laughs) talked about this in September because he was a different goalie in Minnesota than the one he's turned out to be in Arizona and the one that he suddenly developed into. And I want to talk a little bit more about the Coyotes goaltending because you know that so well later in the show. But first going back to like checking out the difference between a goalie and the team around them. Do you think that there are like some new stats that help evaluate goalies that way that help tease apart goalie skill from team quality? One of our listeners, Victor, wants to know uh, how you feel about measures like uh, Fenwick save percentage and goal saved above average and goal saved above expected and whether any of these numbers can help correct for team effect. And for anybody listening, being like, what is Fenwick save percentage? So Fenwick save percentage is a goalie save percentage, but it also gives a goalie credit for saves on shots that miss the net 
I guess, with the feeling that uh, if a goalie has blocked off enough of the net that a shooter is forced to miss, then the goalie deserves some credit because that puck was directed towards the goal and never even made it there. And that is uh, to some credit for the goalie. So Victor actually was mentioning the Delta version of this. So saying, uh, what's the expected Fenwick save percentage of a goalie versus the actual save percent Fenwick save percentage. And then you compare the two numbers to see how well a goalie performed above average. But all of these measures that sort of do try and figure out how well a goalie performed uh, above what an average goalie would have expected, uh, what we would have expected from that average goalie, given the same difficulty of workload and shots and defensive protection, how much value do you find in those numbers? I I like using gold saved above average um, as a reflective stat. Um, I really don't like a lot of the predictive stats. I don't like the expected goal anything related to expected goals with goaltending right now because we have so little publicly accessible data so there's not a ton of continuity so I know that a lot of the private companies have been looking at passing data which really helps with the goaltenders they look at passes and they look at screens which are two things that really influence whether a goaltender is able to get to the shot you know if there's a ton of passing movement in front of them that makes their job that much harder And so even if they get a shot from the same location as someone else, if they've had three passes across the slot line before that before that shot actually hits them, excuse me, that's much tougher than someone who gets a shot from the same location unscreened, no passes beforehand. Somebody just came up the wing and took a shot. Right. So even with the expected save percentage numbers based on shot location, I think that team by team, there's a little too much variance to use it as a predictive stat, in my opinion. Um, but I use I use the goal saved above average just because we have to use something, right? There's there's not a ton out there that works for goalies on the public sector right now because the passing data, the screen data, the shot blocking data, all of that is still very much in the private sector. And so one analytics company versus another, versus what a team has on their staff, versus what we manually track as fans, they can all come up with different answers. And in theory, they shouldn't, but they do. And so everybody's numbers look a little bit different. And so we don't really have enough continuity across it all for me to be super confident in those numbers. But I use goal saved above average just because it shows right now not based on any expected numbers, not based on any projective numbers, just based on what we already have, looking at the league average save percentage, where does this goalie fall? And almost more than that, especially with fantasy, I like using the quality start percentage. That's the one that it's, it's my favorite stat to use when it comes to that because it shows consistency. The quality start percentage is basically any goaltender who in a recorded start has either above the league average save percentage, which I believe this year was 0.907 or something like that. Yeah, it was low. Um, in years, yeah, it was ridiculously low. Um, but if they have above that, or if they have two or fewer goals allowed with, I believe it's an 887 save percentage or higher, or fewer than 20 shots. So if they have a really low shot load, but have only allowed two or fewer goals, even though their save percentage isn't going to be above that league average threshold, they're given a quality start. It means that they've given their team about a 75% or greater chance of winning. And so if they lose, it's probably not on them. If they have a really bad start, 
that's I believe it's an 850 save percentage or lower that gets recorded as well. The league average for quality starts is around a 53% quality start. Um, if you have above a 60% quality start percentage, it means that you're recording quality starts over 60% of the time. So you're giving your team that 75% or greater chance the majority of the time. So right. your consistency is a little bit higher. There are guys that they kind of stick out as red flags where even if their numbers look good, they are not good fantasy options because their consistency is down the chute, Right. Anders Nilsson always has trouble with his quality start percentage. This year, he's finally cracked a .579. In years past, he'd always hovered right about a 40% quality start percentage. Mike Smith is another one, constantly hitting low quality start percentage numbers. So even if their overall basic stats look okay, chances are they're only going to get you a win, what, less than every other time. That's just one of those stats that Given the limited publicly accessible data that we have, I think can help out a little bit. Yeah, that quality start number for Anders Nielsen, super weird. All of a sudden, a 58% quality starter, as you mentioned, whereas in the past, uh, yeah, like he's like he's had a career where it's been like 46%, 48%, 45%. With good safe percentages. That's the thing. Like if you look at his 2016-17 season, he had a 0.923 save percentage. That looks great. He had a 0.478 quality start percentage. So like every game he was either elite or he was awful. Right. And there was like no real happy medium there. Whereas you look at a guy like, like Auntie Ranta and Frederick Anderson are two really good examples of guys who I think once you hit the end of the year for Anderson, his numbers start to dip because he's been ridden a little too hard. But like Ranta is a fantastic example. He's a guy who his numbers are never the very top of the league when it comes to save percentage, but his quality start numbers are always really, really good. Like he had 500 save quality start percentage the 2018-19 season where he only played 12 but other than that this year he's just below a 600 and before that he'd been at like a 69 percent or hovering right around there every single year and that's that's an indicator that even if he doesn't have the league's highest save percentage chances are he's doing at least well if not necessarily remarkably well he's doing well every single game right so let's talk about freddie anderson for a second since you brought him up and actually i'm gonna segue now into looking at our s'more goalies board tiers which is uh, every season uh, at the beginning in september i don't know why we still do this because we're throwing darts with blindfolds on and like we don't even know in what direction the dart board is at this point but we're trying to rank and project all goalies and we have a tiering system so like the top tier of goalies for fantasy hockey is a goalie that's on a good team with a huge workload and can put up a reliably above average save percentage. And this year, there were two goalies in our very top tier, just two. Uh, It was one of the smallest top tiers ever. And one of them was Freddie Anderson. And Elon, my co-host, said on Smore Goalies Board, he said, "Uh, who's more reliable year in, year out than Freddie Anderson? And Elon was right. Like for the last four seasons before this one, including three in Toronto, Anderson had posted a save percentage within a two-point range between 917 and 919, which is unheard of consistency for a goalie playing like 60 games a season over three years. No wild swings in his rookie and sophomore years before that run either. And then this year, Freddie Anderson drops down to a 909 out of nowhere. Once we're just like, oh yeah, this guy's locked in, you know, he's going to be somewhere. If he's not in that two point range between 917 or 919, he won't be far off. 
And then he dropped to 909 this year, which was one point below the league average save percentage of 910. Why do you think this happened? Why, why does this happen to Freddie Anderson this year once we finally got comfortable with him? Honestly, I think, uh, and, and I mentioned it about Braden Holtby, I think it was the year before the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. That, that's another guy who had seemed very consistent with a massive workload. And eventually, I mean, goalies just age. <laughs> They're people. And so eventually you reach a point where these goalies have played, like you said, his numbers were super high in terms of minutes, in terms of games played, in terms of shots faced. He had a stupid high number of shots faced. I think I compared him to a to Marty Brodeur back during like Brodeur's heyday. And he was facing like almost 10 shots per game more than Brodeur ever did. Eventually, I think he just got tired. And I think this year may have been that breaking point. I know that uh, goalies across the league saw a little bit of a dip in their numbers there um, for whatever reason. I know some seasons, you know, numbers just tend to dip a little bit. Um, That may be part of it, but I think he's just, I mean, this is his age 30 season. I think he just got tired. And and that happens. We saw it with, with Holtby before he got more reliable backup goaltending. We definitely saw it with Tuka Rask, right? Before they before the Bruins really started employing that tandem system there, where first they had uh, Anton Hudobin, then they had Yaroslav Halak. Um, before they started doing that, we saw it from Tuka Rask, where he just, eventually he just looked tired and his game started to fall off. Because you look at the offseason, it provides, excuse me, a little bit of recovery. And hopefully this offseason will provide a little bit of extra recovery because we're seeing it possibly extending longer than normal, right? But I think he just got tired. They haven't changed much about their defensive structure. In Toronto, they once again didn't really give him much in terms of backup support. Um, As much as I love Michael Hutchinson as a person, um, just like Garrett Sparks before him, just like, you know, every other backup goalie they've had on that team for the last four or five years, nice guys but they're not really giving them any chance to succeed in terms of games played and that by default doesn't really give Anderson a chance to succeed either and I think this year we just finally saw that although giving him credit like you said he's one point off of the league average so if this is his regression year that's fantastic right we've seen like guys that I've already mentioned Jonathan Quick Mike Smith their regressive years were like 880 save percentages um if you look at some of the other numbers goals against percentage which is goals allowed percentage relative to the league goals allowed um anderson was exactly average this year it goes from zero to 100 and then it goes above that um he's right at 100 his goal saved above average is a negative 0.4 it's not even a full goal saved below average there so he's right on par with what the rest of the league was seeing in terms of average goaltending. So it's not like he was bad per se. He just wasn't he wasn't really carrying the team anymore. And I think carrying one of the most polarizing teams in the league with some kind of kind of exciting play style that doesn't really do a lot defensively. Uh, I think that that eventually gets a little tiring. For sure. Like we're, we're going to grant Freddie Anderson the year off. And like you said, if this is as bad as it gets for him, fine, great. We'll take it. It's just, we want to believe. No, I, I sure hope so. I sure hope that this is as bad as it gets for him. Um, Cause you have to think that bringing in Jack Campbell 
is the Leafs finally moving towards that tandem system? You know, I think that they were hoping they would get it with some of their other guys. I think that Mike Babcock really didn't necessarily believe in the league's shift towards a tandem system. Whether there was a personality conflict with him and Garrett Sparks, like that's a completely different argument. I don't think it's super relevant, but you know, he wasn't really giving him any chance to play meaningful games, consistent games. I think that finally we might be seeing that in Toronto. So hopefully we're seeing Anderson bounce back at least next year and return to that who's more reliable thing, right? That would be so nice because we want a reliable goalie. We want to believe that there's a possibility that a goalie could land in our top tier, that there is a goalie who's on a good team with a big workload and can put up a reliably above average save percentage. Elon brought up that Vasilevsky killed him in the playoffs. He was the other tier one goalie. It was Vasilevsky, Anderson, and that's it. And he said Vasilevsky (laughs) killed him in the playoffs in one of his leagues and said, like, is is Vasilevsky too inconsistent to be a tier one goalie? Or does a tier one goalie even still exist? Or at this point, is it some like mythical unicorn-like creature? I think it is. <laughs> it's, I mean, we used to see, like Mike Smith was a really good example. We'd see people take him in fantasy because even though he was wildly inconsistent and he'd go through week-long stretches and sometimes month-long stretches of horrendous play, you knew he was going to get that crazy high workload. And so you'd still get those starts for him versus a guy like Antiranta, who was better numerically back in the day, but was only getting 30 starts, 25 to 30 starts. More and more, I think that teams, especially as they bring on better trainers, as they bring on guys who are looking at sleep studies, they're looking at rest studies. I know a Cole Anderson, he works for, uh, I think it's sport logic data. He's a, he did a big graph for us at a, a goaltending camp that I went to last summer where he he basically showed what rest and recovery does for a goaltender's save percentage. And guys who weren't getting that rest, who weren't getting, you know, a break in between their starts, who were playing back-to-backs, who were playing 60 to 70 games a season, their numbers were just suffering for it, especially when you looked at it on a game-by-game basis. Their numbers got worse as the year went on. And so... If he has that data, like all the teams do too. And so I think that teams are finally starting to smarten up about it just from from an asset maximization standpoint. And so I think maybe just because Tampa Bay has no other options um, and they don't have a ton of money to work with, I think we're still going to see maybe Vasilevsky with a huge workload. But like we saw this year, I think uh, he got tired too. Maybe we'll see one or two other teams if somebody gets hurt. That that, that might be it. We had questions from uh, listeners Kevin and Prince also asking, do you think the days of workhorse workload goalie are over? And you, we t- you just mentioned Vasilevsky and how Tampa has no backups, even though they brought like nine backups to training camp uh, last season. They brought pre-season. like nine bad backups though. Yeah, so, so that <laughs> was it. Like, like they were barking up backup. all the wrong trees, <laughs> except you would have thought that maybe one of them could hit. And even McElhaney, who they ended up with, didn't have a great season. But essentially what you're saying is 60 starts is about as much as we could expect from any goalie going forward, just with the data teams are collecting on how much worse goalies fare when they're being overworked. Even if we look at it from a money standpoint, right? Guys that teams can't really afford anyone else, um, Sergei Bobrovsky. Even he didn't really have a workhorse load this year, and Florida could afford like to maybe use their equipment manager as a backup. No offense to Chris Dreider, who was fantastic in the games he got, but 
I mean, they, they had no money and even they didn't do a, a workhorse there. And I think it's just, we're, we're not really going to see it anymore. And then also now that we're calibrating our expectations for goalie starts, Prince was also asking, uh, you know, saying that scoring's on the rise uh, and league average save percentage is down at nine ten. So at what point, at what number now do we think, uh, makes an elite goalie save percentage in the NHL. You know, it used to be uh, 925 would be elite, 920 would be near elite, but are those numbers unattainable now? Like at what point, what what number, how far above that 910 save percentage does a goalie need to be for us to be able to say, oh yeah, that goalie is outstanding? One of the One of the biggest things for me is I think that we're not necessarily going to see that scoring stay up high and we're not necessarily going to see the save percentage stay down low. I know a couple goalies have talked about it in the past that for everything they learn technically advancing their game, eventually shooters catch up to it and they, they learn how to work around it. So like they learned how to use post integration to really take away some of those corners. Shooters got smart, started to study it, started to learn how to pick those corners a little bit better and now goalies are learning to readapt to it. They're learning new ways to play post-integration so that they seal themselves a little bit better and are a little bit more agile. And so I think uh, for right now, probably still that 920, maybe maybe 917 through 920, I think is still what we would look at as, as a quality save percentage. I mean, we still have guys that are hitting 920 to 930, right? We have uh, the aforementioned Darcy Kemper had a 928. Tuka Rask had a 929. Anton Hadobin had a 930 last year. Um, Elvis Merzlikens managed to get a 923 as a rookie playing like every game for almost two months there or something. Uh, Auntie Ranta was above a 922. So Arizona had two that were above that. Ben Bishop managed to hit a 920. Robin Lehner managed to hit a 920, which is, I don't think anybody's going to talk about that nearly enough since he was on arguably the worst defensive team in the league this year outside of LA and maybe Detroit. Um, and he still managed to hit that 920. So it's it's still doable. I think uh, the goals against average might go up a little bit, which is why I'm not hugely fond of that stat. But yeah, I think uh, probably maybe lowering our expectation to like a 917, maybe a 915 is going to be quality. And then for elite, I think it's still above that 920. Okay, so that it's nice to know exactly like what we're looking for. And there were, as you mentioned, a good number of goalies. I think the ones who who made that above 920 number with a significant amount of games played, the most significant ones are probably Hallibuck with his 922 over 58 games. And the aforementioned Tuka Rask, who you mentioned is like an Anderson type who did fall off after being so great for so long and maybe just got tired. And then this year, out of nowhere, it's like, oh my God, She's good again with that 929 over 41 games. And Tuka Rask, neither of these goalies, by the way, Tuka Rask or Connor Hellebuck, were in our second tier of goalies who we grouped together as the goalies uh, for fantasy that we thought were on good teams, had good workloads, and have generally performed well. So goalies who weren't like top tier material, who you can expect above average performances, but like they still tick all the boxes and quite reliably. We called them on Smore Goalies Board, we called them four reliable goalies. And holy cow, did we blow this. We blew this entire tier. This is it. I'm just going to name them all. I'm oh, going to wow. put it all out there. We had, okay, we had Marc-Andre Fleury, who finished with a 905 
uh, save percentage. Carrie Price, who Elon said was a good candidate for the Vesna this season, and I bought into it too, that there was a chance for vintage Carrie Price to be there. Nope, 909 save percentage. John Gibson, who I said just such a good and reliable goalie, uh, 904. And then Sergei Bobrovsky was the fourth one, but a 900 <laughs> save percentage. So Flurry, Price, Gibson, Bobrovsky were our second tier. They all stunk. So I guess, like, I'm trying to figure out what to even ask you here. <laughs> like, maybe I want to focus on Sergei Bobrovsky, <laughs> actually. Let's, let's zoom in on him and say, like, what do you do with Bobrovsky if you're Florida? Like, he signed for six more years, $10 million average annual value. Is it possible that Bobrovsky is just done as an elite goalie? I don't think so. Um, I, I had someone who who typically covered the Blue Jackets, who wanted me to take a look at Bobrovsky this year and see if he had truly fallen off or if it was maybe a bit of a team thing too. And I was floored watching Florida defensively at just how passive they are on defense. They play almost like this perimeter defense style where they, the two defenders try and push the oncoming forwards to the outside lanes, and then they leave the middle wide open. Sort of, I guess, hoping that in theory, Bob will be facing uncontested, unscreened, unblocked shots. Like, he'll have a good sight line. But really, they just kept letting shooters, like these elite snipers, walk right into the slot. And then they would be, like, hovering out by the face-off dots, just watching it happen, pushing the two wingers to the outside. So it was almost like, like these breakaways. And it was kind of crazy to watch because Bob doesn't play super well like that. He plays really well when you clog up that passing lane because he can move laterally really strongly. But um, he sometimes gets a little too low, plays a little too wide, a little too, like he leaves his top corners wide open and he'd make a really good first stop. And then there would be like two guys from the other team right in the slot waiting for the second shot and he'd get the second shot and then they would get him on the third. And so I think, think that at some point Florida needs to have like a come to Jesus moment with themselves. They need to decide, do we change up our structure? Do we, do we let go of Bob? Like, is he done? Um, I don't think he's done, but he is definitely done playing the style that they tried this year. Um, or do we, do we try and find a happy medium? You know, do we try and restructure our defense so that it works a little better with how he plays? I don't think they really, really addressed the fact that they paid so much money for a goalie and then didn't try and work a system around him, which uh, was kind of nuts to me. (laughs) Right. If you're going to get the guy, you might as well make sure that you're going to play a system that benefits the the guy. Like if you're centering your entire salary structure (laughs) around a guy, you might, you might want to set things up for him to succeed. One option that you didn't actually mention uh, well, you sort of mentioned, but I'm going to get more specific about it. What about Spencer Knight as this Florida Panthers goaltending prospect? He was their 13th overall pick in 2019, who's uh, just finished his first year of college at a 931 save percentage for Boston College in the Hockey East Division One. How short-term an option could Spencer Knight possibly be? Do you think he poses any kind of challenge to Bobrovsky in the next year or two? Um, in theory, he doesn't necessarily pose a challenge, but he poses reinforcements. Because um, if you think about it, I mean, Spencer Knight, assuming he signs earlier than his senior year um 
the the length of the contract they'll be able to sign him to is a three-year entry-level deal. And that, that buys them three years of league minimum, excuse me, salary for an elite backup goaltender or an elite tandem goaltender while paying $10 million for the other. So it's kind of like looking at how how New York operated with Henrik Lundqvist for so many years, with, with Antti Ranta, with Cam Talbot, with Alexander Georgiev for his first couple years there, where, yes, Lundqvist made a whopper of a salary, but then they would have a very good backup who was making just a steal for them, either an entry-level deal or a league minimum or very close to it. So in theory, you make it so that those two can tandem together, have them work well together, have Bob, have Bobrovsky provide this veteran sort of guidance for Spencer Knight, who I think uh, is very good, but probably is going to need some emotional development in terms of learning how to, how to humbly be a part of the NHL at whatever age he hits at probably 20 in all, in all reality. Um, and, and you slowly ease Knight into the role. You give him more and more starts and, and you tandem them because that's kind of the way the league's going. So if Florida does it correctly, Knight shouldn't necessarily pose a threat because there should still be between 30 and 45 starts up for grabs any given year that that would go to Bobrovsky. It's a really nice optimistic way that you put it. It's like, okay, they might be overpaying Bobrovsky, but they have this super cheap guy who might be able to come up and together uh, their goaltending tandem becomes a more reasonable price. But this leads me to this question about all our tier two guys, Bobrovsky, Gibson, Price, Fleury, are all guys who've had these long-term super expensive contracts. Should teams ever be offering goalies contracts like these going forward or do we still like do we still just not understand goalies well enough to ever make this big a bet on them in theory i think they yes goalies deserve it um i think it's, it's kind of both you know you say do we not know enough about goalies to accurately give these contracts i think the answer to that is yes but then if you look at the goalies i mean they they carry so much of a load for their teams right they play all 60 minutes each game that they play some of them are really getting overworked like guys like Freddie Anderson um and if we if we argue that they shouldn't be making a ton of money whereas some of some of the forwards do some of the d-men do um I think that's not necessarily fair but but it is tough because like you said how do we how do we accurately do that I'm not super sure how we accurately give out those contracts correctly. I think maybe starting with higher dollar, shorter term contracts for the goalies might be smarter. Um, kind of like, I know they weren't super high numbers, but uh, what what Arizona did for Kemper and Ronta, where they both have either two or three year deals, making, I believe, over three mil each. Um, you look at what, uh, I think it was, it's the Islanders with Semyon Varlamov. He's making a slightly higher dollar amount, but for a shorter time period. So even if he had started to fall off this year, they don't have him signed for eight years or anything crazy. I think it was just four. Yeah, that's right. Four years at five million. Right. And then even like Robin Lehner was kind of a severe example because he only got a one-year deal, which we unfortunately have to assume has has some relevance to his off-ice history, um, wanting to make sure that year by year he's okay to go, um, whether that's fair or not. But, I mean, he got $4 million on a one-year deal. So they they saw that, obviously, he's doing he did very well there. So his next deal, he'll be able to make money as well. But they didn't give him five years at $4 mil per 
and then have him fall off and be stuck saddled with another four years of trying to figure out what to do with him. So I think that maybe starting with two to three years, maybe of high, high dollar. <laughs> no, that seems, that seems very sensible to have these, you know, high stakes, like high, put, put the money there, but maybe not the term. So you're not tied to a longer term mistake. And like you met, you're keep mentioning like Robin Leonard, you're mentioning all these guys that I, I do want to talk about with you. And I, anyone listening, I'm not glossing over these guys, but I'm trying to go in order of our tiers, which sadly uh, did not have a 920 Robin Laner in the top three uh, tier. <laughs> We're going to our third tier now. So yeah, Kat, you're getting a really good sense of just how brutal a season this was for us trying to, <laughs> to project goalies. So in our tier three goalies, we were essentially looking at goalies who fit the mold of tier two, uh, good workload, uh, good team, generally good save percentage, but they had like one red flag or question mark. For example, Connor Hellebuck was in tier three and his red flag was, okay, Bufflin's not there. Truba's not there. Uh, what have the Jets done? They just brought in Neil Pionk. Uh, this does not seem like it's going to bode well for Connor Hellebuck. And then boom, a 922 save percentage. He's bailing out the Jets night in, night out. Uh, so he was incredible in tier three and probably should have deserved to be in tier two with the performance he put up. Uh, and I'm mentioning that I'm patting myself on the back for just that brief moment because every other goalie in this tier was outplayed by, and in some cases overtaken by their backup. So I'm just going to rhyme off all the goalies in tier three, uh, who were challenged or beaten by their backups this year. We had Philip Grubauer, we had a 916 that was beaten by Pavel Francouz and his 923. Devin Dumnik's 890 beaten by Alex Stalock's 910. Bennington's 912 against Jake Allen's 927. Holtby's 897 against uh, Samsonov's 913. Matt Murray's 899 versus Tristan Jari's 921. Rini's 895 versus UC Saros's 914. Even Ben Bishop, who like we, I think we got right. 920 save percentage, 21, 16, and four. Played a lot of games for a good team. Put up a great save percentage, but was still outplayed by his backup, Anton Hudobin. Or I shouldn't really call him his backup. His his one B option, his partner uh, in a similar number of games. So again, I look at all these guys: Grubauer, Dubnik, Bennington, Holtby, Murray, Rene. Ben Bishop to some extent, but not quite. Like, what is the lesson that we should be taking away from this? Are goalies just too random? Is is there any hope for us to actually get this right if we try it again next year? I think that part of it is because we we had those slightly higher expectations than the league as a whole provided us with. Um, like you said, the, the league average save percentage was a 9-10. So even looking at that, Philip Grubauer was above that league average by, by a significant margin with that 9-16 and uh, it's it's kind of funny because Philip Grubauer, over the last handful of years, has proven himself to be a very historically uh, a mediocre starter to the season. He's played okay, but not great. And then once he warms up throughout the year, he's lights out. So, like, I, I think it was during that 2018-19 season, he was okay to start. I talked to him when he came through Arizona. We talked about it, and he said, oh, we're winning games but it's not necessarily on me. I'm still a little uncomfortable in our system. And by the time they hit February into March, into April, when Simeon Varlamov was surprise, surprise injured, um, Grubauer yeah. was just lights out. He's the reason they made the playoffs and it wasn't even close. Like he was the single sole reason. Sorry, Nathan McKinnon, but like, 
Grubauer got them into the playoffs. He had like a 940 save percentage down their last 15 to 20 games. Right. So I guess my question isn't so much about like, you know, like Grubauer was good and Bennington was good. Like some of these guys were legit good. But why were we so blindsided by all their backups coming in and playing even better? And in some cases in more games. Like you look at Braden Holtby, who, you know, we had mentioned in our preseason episode that the door in Washington is open the way it was in Colorado for someone to step in, except we had the wrong goalie. We thought Phoenix Copley was the next in line when we recorded that. And like Elon mentioned how Holtby had been an entrenched starter forever. And then here comes Samsonov uh, and comes in and outplays Holtby by over 15 save percentage points, has a much better record. So uh, is, is the parity amongst goalies in the league so strong that we should really stop assuming that any goalie is the number one or even 1A. Correct. That's the like, lesson. I, I think that, yeah, I think that like the Phoenix Copley one, that, that might have been a mistake because Phoenix Copley, I don't necessarily think of as an NHL goaltender, period. Um, he's, he's never necessarily wowed me. Um, but Samsonov, I mean, that was the heir apparent right there. Samsonov was drafted. I think that after Andre Vasilevsky, he was one of the only first round goalies taken up until Spencer Knight. Um, and he's been playing over in, he played over in Russia up until this past year when he really got his feet wet um, by playing in the AHL. It took him a little bit of time because he's a bit of an enthusiastic goalie. He likes to come out pretty far. Um, he had to get used to the the NHL smaller rink style like that north american rink dimension um once he got used to that though technically reflexively he's an incredibly strong prospect so i think that the writing was on the wall there a little bit i don't know what happened to holtby um (laughs) i'm i'm as confused by his numbers as anyone else but uh tristan jari is another one who he initially had been the heir apparent to Mark andre Fleury when they drafted him in Pittsburgh. He was considered one of the strongest prospects. Um, I believe he came from the Sioux Greyhounds. Um, came from the OHL, was a fantastic junior goalie. And then Matt Murray had gotten called up. I believe Tristan Jari had either been struggling a little bit for a few weeks or had gotten hurt. And so Matt Murray got his chance, played really well, and then ended up taking that NHL job got those two Stanley Cups, and then took over the starter gig. Whereas really, initially, that was supposed to have been Jari's from the start. Um, and he's playing like a guy who was expected to be Marc- Marc-Andre Fleury's replacement, um, which is nice to see that. Uh, Yusei Saros is supposed to be Pekka Rene's replacement eventually. Um, it's nice to see that he has a 914 now because he was a little snake-bitten for a while. Um, I don't remember if it was last season as a whole or if it was earlier in this season. But uh, Saros was playing, looking good, but then the team defensively in front of him was not playing well, and he just kept putting up garbage numbers and losing games. And I thought that they were going to eventually just scrap the idea of having him. Um, but I'm glad that they stuck with him, because obviously, I mean, he's he's doing quite well now, and he's a guy who's listed at 5'10", so we love ourselves a good small goalie, right? We love having a having a guy who's not a giant making it and thriving like Anton Hudobin, all those ones that were in your tier three there were guys who should have been in sort of a tandem situation. All of them had guys that were coming up underneath them that I think the teams, when they saw that the league save percentage was getting a little lower than, than normal, they were like, all right, we're just going to, we're going to throw these guys in there. Let's go. And 
these kids really, really took the opportunity and ran with it. So, but yeah, I think we shouldn't, uh, shouldn't assume that anybody is the number one anymore. Um, even, even Henrik Lundqvist, he's been the number one in, in New York for most of our formative years. When you look at, at people that are watching hockey now, most of us don't remember a time without Henrik Lundqvist very well because we were children. Um, <laughs> he's, he's been around for, I think it's going on 15 years now, give or take. Um, and even he at this point, I mean, they, they all but benched him by the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not not a night, not a deserved end for Lundqvist, but let's hope there's still some time for him to balance it out and ride out properly into the sunset. So now that you've just told me uh, that uh, no one should be assumed to be a number one goalie anymore, I'm actually going to throw a bunch of names at you that I'm like, but what about these guys, Kat? Can these guys still be number one goalies? These are goalies who had these breakout seasons. And it's like, I don't see anybody in sight who can stop them. They all seem to have this great upside. And I just want to get your take on them. And I want to start off by going to Philadelphia and talking about Carter Hart, who was originally in our fourth tier at the start of the season. He had a 9-17 rookie season, followed that up with a 9-14 sophomore performance this year, had a fantastic quality start percentage, almost 63%. And he went on this crazy run to end the season where he went 11 of 14 games, put up a 9-29 save percentage but it wasn't just that run that made Carter Hart really stand out as this young rookie who's coming into the league it's rare that a rookie or young goalie plays as much as Carter Hart does there's only been 50 occasions in NHL history where we've seen a goalie age 21 or under play at least 30 games Carter Hart now appears on that list twice and holds the fourth and seventh best save percentage marks on it for a goalie age 21 or under who plays at least 30 games so Kat, is he a number one? Like can we be, yeah, Carter Hart number one. How high can he go? Ideally, like I said, I, I don't want to see any goalies playing Frederick Anderson level workloads anymore just because we've seen what it does to them. Um, and all of the Stanley Cup winners over the last, I think it's been almost five or six years now, have had a balanced workload when you look at it. Um, but in theory, I mean... How long has Philadelphia needed sufficient goaltending? Correct. Not even elite goaltending, but sufficient goaltending. <laughs> They've needed a guy who's healthy and league average for, I I think, since what, Ilya Brzezgalov's first season? Did he even pull that off? I don't know. So it's been, been forever. And my biggest concern with Carter Hart is that they get so excited about him that they overwork him. And he gets hurt next. And hopefully we don't see that, right? right? Hopefully we see them balance it, find find a number two to go with him, even if it's not necessarily a 1B, even if you start with a backup who can play 20 games. Just just give him some rest. Um, maybe Brian Elliott still has a little bit of juice left in the tank to just continue serving as like Carter Hart's dad um, <laughs> in that. Hopefully eventually we see Hart get someone who's a sufficient number two and an age appropriate number two, a guy who's not on his last legs. Um, but that that's kind of asking a lot from Philadelphia. Cause I think that last season they went through nine goalies. So I, I, in theory, he should have, he should have a very high ceiling, but this is Philadelphia we're talking about. So I get 
so nervous to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, when they finally found their goalie, it was Sergei Bobrovsky back in 2010-11 as a 22-year-old, had a 9.15 save percentage, which was great at the time, 65% quality start. It was essentially Carter Hart's rookie season, and then he fell off the next year, and then they're like, oh, okay, you're gone. Uh, go go play in Columbus <laughs> and be elite somewhere else. So we'll see if Philly has learned their lesson on like the ninth or 10th attempt to learn it. Um, now let me talk about a guy who's sort of like the anti-Carter, or not the anti-Carter Hart, the opposite of Carter Hart, and Jacob Markstrom, who we also had in our fourth tier, um, and we had to justify it at the time. Like, I acknowledge that Markstrom is a bit of a swing to put up that high. Uh, Elon was wondering if Thatcher Demko was going to be much of a threat, but turned out to have a fantastic season. And I say he's like the opposite of Carter Hart is because Markstrom was drafted in 2008 at the start of the second round. He was 18 years old then. He only saw more than 30 games in a season eight years later in 2015-16 when he was 26 years old. So what Carter Hart did as a 20-year-old took Markstrom not much longer to get that opportunity. And then Markstrom didn't even see 30 games this season that followed the first season that he saw those 30 games. But now essentially... Jacob Markstrom has been a 60-game guy for the last few years and broke out with a career-high 918 save percentage after being roughly league average the couple seasons before that when he did have a starter's workload. Now that Markstrom has just finished his age 31 season and is breaking out in a similar way to Carter Hart, just at a much older age, where can Jacob Markstrom go from here? So that's that's a tricky one because you're right. He's he's the complete opposite. I, I had high hopes for him in Florida. And then they obviously traded him to Vancouver and, and picked Roberto Luongo back up. Um, he was really initially going to be the goalie of the future there in Florida. And uh, for whatever reason, they dealt him away to get one of their, their favorite players back, which I think was smart at the time. Looking back on it, I don't think Florida regrets that. But Vancouver has done a very, very good job of curating good goalie depth charts. Um, and so Markstrom got trapped there for a little bit because they had Corey Schneider and Eddie Lack. And then they had Eddie Lack and Ryan Miller. And then eventually, finally, they had to deal away Eddie Lack just so they could bring up Jacob Markstrom because he was supposed to be this really highly ranked prospect. Um, like you said, he was drafted in the second round in 2008, which makes me feel really old. Yeah, they, they eventually they were like, all right, we're not going to be able to waive him anymore. We're not going to be able to send him to the AHL. We need to have him in the NHL. Eddie Lack was gone. They brought Markstrom up at long last, and he finally got his shot. And he's been doing fairly well with it. Um, they have Ian Clark. He's the former goaltending coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's the one who really helped revitalize from an on-ice perspective uh, Sergei Bobrovsky's career um, when he really started to work with him there. Um, and he's done kind of the same thing when you look at Vancouver with uh, – with Jacob Markstrom, he's really sort of controlled his game. He's helped him develop it. And when we look at where he can go from here, once again, like they're still doing a really great job of cultivating good goaltending depth charts. They have Thatcher Demko below him. Um, he's unfortunately had a few concussion issues, but even if that doesn't work, they have uh, Mikey DiPietro, yeah. who's not related to the Rick DiPietro. <laughs> Right, which may or may not be a, a plus for people who like have followed hockey long enough to remember Rick DiPietro and like. Yeah, it's hard to tell if I'm disappointed about it or relieved for my yeah. DiPietro's sake. But no, he's another guy who's great. 
I'm glad you brought up the Canucks depth because, you know, they have so many options all of a sudden. They went from having no options for a little while that were really panning out to now having three in Demko, DiPietro, and of course, Jacob Markstrom, who still could come back. His contract situation is up in the air at the moment. But where do you think the Canucks are going to go? We asked this question to Cam Robinson on our last episode from more of a prospect's perspective. Uh, and also, he's Ooh. in Vancouver, so he watches the team very closely. But I'm curious to, to know your take on who you would go with. You've got three guys at three very different parts of their careers. Is there one that you can tab today as being the likely starter for the next three to five years? In theory, once again, they go with that tandem style. Um, I think that in theory, they keep Markstrom around at least until they have a good handle on Thatcher Demko's concussion situation because he has missed significant time with head injuries. Um, and I would just be super nervous about with the unproven nature of Mikey DiPietro's career at this point. He's still a prospect. He still could probably use a little bit of seasoning. Um I wouldn't want to call him up immediately and then have to give him the lion's share of the starts if something were, God forbid, to happen to Thatcher Demko. If he were to deal with another concussion or to deal with some post-concussion symptoms and have to miss a handful of time. Um, so I would want to keep Jacob Markstrom around at least for another year, maybe two, because he's always a great trade chip, right? He's always a guy who manages who you could deal when you realize that, hey, DiPietro is ready for the NHL. Thatcher Demko seems healthy. You can always then deal Jacob Markstrom and get assets back for it. That's not a bad problem to have. That's what I'd like to see from them. I'm kind of curious what Cam thought they would do. Um, but it's also Vancouver. Um, and we do have to look at at management structure there. And Jim Benning does some really eyebrow-raising things sometimes. <laughs> so I'm not positive what their thought process is at all at this point. I have no idea what direction they'd go in. For all I know, they're going to deal away Demko instead. Like, Knowing Jim Benning, <laughs> I think there's a there's no way to be confident with what direction they'd head. But ideally, you keep Markstrom almost in the role that Ryan Miller had with Eddie Lack and then with Markstrom, right? Ryan Miller managed to serve. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, Cam Robinson's take was that maybe the Canucks sign Markstrom just long enough to get DiPietro ready for NHL action and then let him take over. And, and maybe Demko is the odd one out, which sounds like you're you're sort of proposing a similar thing. It's a nice problem that the Canucks have. Absolutely. Uh, the opposite problem of a lot of NHL teams. Let's talk about uh, one NHL team that does not look like they're going to have a goaltending problem uh, for the near or medium or long-term future. And that's the New York Rangers, because look how Igor Shostyorkin has arrived in the NHL. Holy cow, what a debut for this guy in his first North American season. This counts both as AHL and NHL records. He won 27 out of 37 games that he played. First time in North America, and he had a 10-2 and record in the NHL for the Rangers. I mean, this guy guy, Shostyorkin, has a record of winning games. Since becoming a full-time hockey goalie, he's won 98 of his 132 games played between the KHL, AHL, and NHL. That's like a 75% win percentage. And at any level, beyond that winning, like, you know, you might say, oh, well, he played for Scott St. Petersburg. They're really good. Well, Shostyorkin has never posted a save percentage below 932. It was as high as 953 in his last KHL season. So, Kat, my question for you is, uh, like, does Shostyorkin have 
anything left to prove he's 24 years old or is he as can't miss as they come for blue chip goalies looking at the next decade plus i think the only thing he has left to prove is that uh he can convince management to give him proper support (laughs) (laughs) because truly i think he's and and i think i said it before he officially came over to north america he's got the potential to be lundquist 2.0 You know, he's got the consistency. That's one of those. We were talking about guys who are consistent year in and year out, bailing their team out, playing well behind good teams, no matter what. Henrik Lundqvist, that was the guy for consistency. He had just an absurd number. Even when you look at his numbers this year, considering that he dropped off, had no certainty, really didn't have a ton of support, and he's getting up there in years, like he's still played, I I consider fairly well um and that's that's kind of what what Shesterkin has you know he's one of those guys who I think is going to be just absurdly consistent absurdly good um it's just a matter of whether New York gives him more to work with than they ever gave Lundqvist how long do you think it is until assuming that he gets some kind of support because yeah that was the the piece that seemed to be missing it's like Henrik Lundqvist was doing it all himself for so many years and we're hoping that the Rangers have learned their lesson in supporting their goalie better assuming that Shostorkin gets at least average support it's super conceivable that he could just have the best save percentage in the NHL for several of the next several years, right? Yeah, I'd say so. I'm curious how they're going to distribute the starts because at this point it kind of sounds like Henrik Lundqvist who for years made it sound like he was willing to play out his contract regardless of you know whether he was the starter or getting shares and finally sounds like he kind of wants out. And I don't necessarily blame him because he was really the way they eased into having Shesterkin at the NHL level, maybe they could have done it a little more tactfully. So it's it's tough to tell how Shesterkin's starts are going to break down because I don't know if he's going to have Lundqvist with him and they're going to deal Gorgiev. I don't know if they're going to keep Georgiev around and deal Lundqvist. I don't know if they're going to buy out Lundqvist. It's, it's kind of tough to tell at this point how they're going to break things down. But assuming they don't try and give him, you know, 75 starts a year behind the defense, they unfortunately still don't have. I think he could easily be that guy who's just at the top of the league year after year as soon as next season. I almost wonder, like, just Jorkin, like, I almost don't want the Rangers to get him that defensive support because, like, he won 10 of 12 games, had, like, a crazy save percentage as an NHL rookie. It's like, I want to see how good he can be on the worst team in the league. I think that would make for the most exciting watching. And in fantasy, it's like, oh, this guy like gets to gets to face a lot of rubber too. That would even pump up his value more. But yes, to set him up for success, let's uh let's try and surround him with some defense. I'm gonna throw out <laughs> I, I know our name our, our time is starting to run out, so I'm gonna start throwing out some names and you can just give me some short order takes on how you feel about them. Another guy who broke out last season we had in our sixth tier, by the way, uh Shostorkin we had in our twelfth tier. We just didn't think he'd play. Uh this guy in our sixth tier, we had Linus Olmark 
who ended up with a 915 save percentage. And like that was sort of us calling our shot that Allmark could at least be sharing the job out of Kim, because at that point it was still Carter Hutton's net, at least publicly, and then we'll earn the job over the course of the season. So we called that. And this is another goalie, a Swedish goalie, like Markstrom, who's getting his opportunity eight years after being drafted. So Allmark, last two seasons, though, we've seen two different versions of him, though. He was a 905 two seasons ago, and then a 915 in this season that just ended. How do we know which is the real Allmark and if we can depend on this guy going forward? That's that's kind of tough because I think a lot of that does have to do, once again, with the team around him. I was never super high on Linus Olmark, but I also wasn't super low on him. I figured he was an NHL backup to tandem guy. I didn't think he was ever going to be like a Shesterkin or a Carter Harder and Elvis Merzlikens. I did think that he was at least going to be NHL caliber, and then he kind of fell a little flat. But Buffalo has been... Not not just a train wreck, but they've been a timid train wreck. When they allow a bad goal, the entire team caves. And so I think he gets so little support when a bad goal is allowed that it's kind of tough to tell how he'll be able to continue. He's one that, from a fantasy perspective, I don't know if I'd ever take him um, until his season has actually gotten underway. Because I just, I don't know how things will shake out there. Yeah, that's fair. Like, Buffalo has not earned a whole lot of confidence and neither has Allmark. I know nope. he helped my fantasy team and like a lot of our listeners' fantasy teams once he did pick things up and get going. But uh, before that, he wasn't terribly helpful. How about these other two guys who really helped their fantasy owners when they got going uh, in Columbus? We've got Elvis Merzlikens and Eunice Corpusalo. We talked about them constantly just because there was always something happening. Like they were both struggling or one was crushing it and then one was injured and then the other was... Like it was just... There was so much news coming out of the Columbus crease. But the thing about them is both Merzlikens and Corpusalo only found their games when they were given the entire workload in the Columbus crease. They faltered in the opening weeks when there was like this feeling out process as who was going to be the starter or the 1A, who was going to be the backup or the 1B. And then it was just like, well, uh, Corpusalo got the ball, went nuts, ran with it, got injured. Then Merzlikens all of a sudden is starting after like just bombing his first attempts at being an NHL goalie. He had just an insane run too. He got a shutout like every other game. Yeah. That was wild. It was, that was insane. <laughs> and like always against my fantasy teams, of course. So like it was very frustrating that I didn't get him. I had Corpusalo, but when Cor- anyway, that's my own grievance to bear. I think people listening have heard it already. So I guess my question is, is it a coincidence that Merzlikens and Corpusalo both only showed their best selves when they were getting all the games or do you think, like, is there something something to them needing to get their rhythm to show their stuff? And then my part two for you is next year, uh, who do you draft first in a fantasy draft between Merzlikens and Corpusalo? Elvis, for sure. Really? From a, from a technical standpoint, I'm, I'm more confident in Elvis's game. Um, Merzlikens has kind of like a Darcy Kemper, right? He's a... Uh, He's unfortunately shown us that he's a little inconsistent. He's never had a truly quality season before those stretches this year. Um, whereas Elvis, you look at what we were talking about with Shesterkin and the number of wins he's had and the save percentages he's had at the pro level. Elvis over in Switzerland was lights out for his his team in the NLA. He was just fantastic. Um, my biggest fear coming into the year was that they had no veteran support there. Even in the minor leagues, they didn't have a veteran 
NHL goalie who was like past his prime to come up and help show them the ropes. They had like another Finnish guy who had never sniffed North American ice. And then like another guy that they had signed out of college. So they had no experience at the NHL level anywhere in the system beyond Eunice Corposalo, who was a little green himself. Um, I think they just eventually found their rhythm. Um, and I think that it kind of came from not having the other one to fall back on. They knew that, Hey, I, I have to get this right and put everything else out of their minds and, and ran with it. Um, they're both really quality goalies. I just, I'd been nervous about the lack of experience around them and they, they proved all of us wrong once they, once they got going. They sure did. And that's a team that benefits from really defend, like from great team defense. Columbus is one of the best teams in the league at protecting their net. It's, it's the way they knew they had to play. It's funny that Bobrovsky's old team really suited their game to their goalies while his new team uh, totally did not. And by the way, I just, want to say how much I love the confidence with which you just said Elvis Merzlikens without even taking a beat. That's that's the confidence I'm looking for. Like, Elon and I have been waffling and dithering back and forth, just trying to figure it out, looking for an authoritative take. So I am now calling that the most authoritative take I've gotten. I'm, I'm with you because I have no other choice. Uh, like, if you sound <laughs> confident, then I'm confident too. Uh, okay, let's look at uh, one more goalie who's like not a breakout this season, but I just want to share a hot take, and you already, we already talked about him, Robin Lehner. Uh, my hot take, I just want you to rate this take. What I'm going to do, I'm going to say the take, I'm going to back it up, and then you're going to tell me what you think. So my hot take is that Robin Lehner is the best goalie in the National Hockey League. He has a 918 career save percentage over what's been a career with ups and downs, but he has a 920 or higher in four of his last five seasons with varying workloads, 9.30 on Long Island with the Barry Trotz team, but then he was a 9.20 in Chicago on, like, the polar opposite of a Barry Trotz team that really protects their net well. So, like, Lehner stepped into maybe the worst defensive situation in the league or one of the three or five worst, crushed it, and proved that Robin Lehner is the best goalie in the NHL what do you think? I think from from a talent standpoint, you you might be right. Um, I I think that his his surrounding circumstances of his career have maybe forced us to see see him bloom a little later than he could have. But I also think that some of his his surrounding circumstances are the reason that he's as adaptable as he is. I think that he, he truly appreciates the talent that he has. I think he appreciates the situation that he's in, the career that he's had so far. Um, he doesn't take it for granted. He doesn't overthink it. He knows that every day that he's allowed to play in the national hockey league is a gift. Um, every day that he is still successful, there is a gift and he truly like gives it his all every game, which I, I don't know if Chicago necessarily appreciated that because they they seem to be gunning for one of those high draft picks, um, and he was not gunning for it. Um, he was he was gunning for a playoff spot there with his play. Yeah, I was really excited to see him be get traded to Vegas. I thought it was the the most beautiful trade of trade deadline day. Here's a guy who's like righted the ship uh, in his personal life for the last couple of years. Uh, goes to a team like proved himself in Chicago. Goes to a cup contending team that needed a goalie. And uh, we didn't get to see how that 
would play out. But I, I love the move for Vegas. Uh, let's uh, let's move over to Arizona, and then I'm going to throw a couple rapid fire questions at you to end this. But because we're with you, and you know so much about the Arizona goalies, I just want to give you a chance to share what you think the next year looks like for Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta. Last season, we had Ranta in our fourth year, Kemper in our seventh. Ranta, of course, like we know there's been injury uh, concerns with him in the past. Kemper, we just, again, like, weren't sure how for real this guy is. I know I pointed out uh, in, in Smorgoldi's board that he had an 897 shorthanded save percentage, which was, like, really high amongst other goalies. And usually I sort of look at that number, uh, shorthanded save percentage, and think this is sort of random. It's on a super small sample of shots. There's a lot of variance in goalies year to year. But uh, Kemper proved me wrong. He had an 888 shorthanded save percentage this year. So once again, amongst the best penalty kill goalies in the league, uh, I don't know if that speaks to his talent or just like had another great season. But between these two guys, and Ronta is someone who's just like, Anyone who owned him or tried to get in on him, especially when Kemper got injured, just got so frustrated because he just couldn't stay healthy and then he couldn't stay consistent. So we have two goalies who had seasons where a lot there, there was a lot tossed up in the air and not a whole lot of just really settled about their situation. So how do you see uh, the sh- the timeshare or or crease situation in Arizona shaking out between Kemper and Ranta? You know that's that's really tough because. Like you said, the the injury situation, I think that Ranta was reaching a point where the team was almost done with him, right? Like he he would get healthy, he would play a few really good games, he would play a mediocre game, which happens. Like every goalie has mediocre games. And there was a game where he pulled himself because he wasn't feeling well. And I think the team just got incredibly frustrated with that because they needed him to step up because Darcy Kemper had gotten hurt. And there's, I mean, there's a bit of an injury history there with Kemper too. He hasn't stayed fully healthy for a season either. Um, but then eventually, whatever whatever it took, eventually Ronta truly hit that point where he he came into his own again. He rediscovered his confidence. His health was finally looking good again. And then the team stopped scoring goals. <laughs> so even though he was, I think there was a game where they played their their game against the St. Louis Blues was. I don't think I'm ever going to forget that game because it was the worst game I've ever seen in my life. The Coyotes <laughs> took 14 shots on goal. The Blues took, I think they took over 50. Oh, wow. And the game was tied at 0-0 until like the final three minutes of the game. The Coyotes lost that game one nothing. That sounds awful. <laughs> it was it was the worst game I've ever seen in my life. They took 14 shots on goal. And Ranta, I mean, he allowed one goal at the very end of the game after, I mean, truly the entire game was being played in his crease. And he kept them in that game. Like that was that was a one nothing loss. So I think that like that game in particular, the team really renewed their confidence in him, but they were slipping out of the playoffs at this point. And I think that the team was hoping that at the end of the season, there would be a bit of clarity in the standings, in the final save percentage shakedown between Ronson and Kemper to really figure out what they want to do moving forward. And instead, um, the season got cut short. <laughs> I know that eventually they're going to have to make a decision on Aiden Hill. He's in the AHL right now. I think he's coming up on no longer being waiver exempt kind of like the Jacob Markstrom situation where eventually like you have to play this guy or you have to get rid of him I think ideally they'd like to maybe keep Kemper and move on to for an asset but I don't think they were particularly confident in how Aiden Hill played this year either 
So I'm not sure. I think that Ronta's health really is the biggest question mark, but Kemper's isn't stellar either. So I think that that may have saved Ronta a little bit, that Kemper's not super healthy either. So it's not, it's not all on him. Okay, so we'll just have to wait and see. Just like, I guess it sounds like Arizona (laughs) is also waiting and seeing if one guy really can take the reins and uh, really show that he's the one worth sticking with for the next few years. Hopefully, you'd think between the three, one of them is going to pan out. So uh, we'll keep watching next season to see how that goes. Speaking of next season, all right, I have a few either-or questions for you to wrap up the show. And I think one of them you've already answered. So I was going to ask you, who do you think we have? uh, Matt Murray is going to become a restricted free agent uh, at the end of this season, of the suspended season. So if you're in the Pittsburgh front office, what's your advice to them for how to go forward between Matt Murray and Tristan Jari? Who's the goalie you want in net next year and beyond? Tristan Jari. Yeah, okay, you did already answer that. Uh, Okay, let's go to Carolina. (laughs) We've got Alex Nedeljkovic, and then we also have uh, James Reimer and Petr Mrazek. Uh, all three had opportunities this year to really step up. Ne- uh, of course, Nedeljkovic didn't get a whole long one uh, because goalies got healthy again. But still, no one really ever took advantage of getting uh, a chance to run with the ball in the in sorry, getting to run with the ball in the crease for a pretty strong Carolina team next year. Next couple years, who do you see emerging from that goaltending trio to actually? Be someone who you might want to own in fantasy rather than, you know, picking them up, getting a bad game out of them, dropping them because, you know, they might not play for another two or three. I'd love to see it be Nedeljkovic and uh, James Reimer because I'm not super confident in the consistency of Peter Mrazek ever. But you have to look at the age and injury history of James Reimer, too. And so I would say Alex Nedeljkovic is probably, if you're looking at a keeper league, he's the one that maybe I would take. But if it's year to year, I would stay away from that team entirely until the season has started to get underway. Or maybe take one of them as a third thing, maybe, as a third goalie for your team, maybe. Which is such a crazy thing to say about a team that should be a cup contender, but we can't pick a goalie from them, which is super frustrating, right? Because to be a, a goalie really worth taking, you need to be on a top team in the league, and Carolina just does not offer that option. They haven't for who knows how long now. Uh, okay, let's let's go to Washington, who has this, like, changing situation. Braden Holtby's coming off the book soon, and you've got Ilya Samsonov, who just stepped up with that 9.13 save percentage in his rookie season and came off this sterling KHL career where, where he put up, like, not just Jorkin, type numbers, but they were still fantastic. And he wasn't playing for as good a team as Shostyorkin. So for all we know, Samsonov could be uh, in the same league as Shostyorkin. So if Braden Holtby leaves, is uh, Ilya Samsonov someone who strikes you as being ready to step into a starter's role and succeed? Or does he need a little more seasoning? I think he's ready to succeed. Um, but I would be nervous about running him with, uh, with Phoenix Copley. I'd I'd at least look at bringing on someone else's once again, not doing the Columbus doing something with a little more experience um, and not necessarily like, like the Philadelphia situation, Brian Elliott with Carter Hart versus uh, a rookie with a rookie. Right. So it's, so, and it's similar to what you'd say about Matt Murray. Like, would you say like, say goodbye to Braden Holtby and just say hello to Ilya Samsonov and a, and a cheap 
veteran backup option. If you can get a discount for Braden Holtby, maybe keep him because I think he's so good in the room and I think he still has something left in the tank. Um, I really don't understand what happened this year, but uh, if he's if he doesn't want to take a discount, I mean that's that's a cap strapped team, right? That's a team that just doesn't have a lot of room for that, and so I would I would maybe not not keep him. Yeah, yeah. Holtby uh, is coming off this six point one million dollar per year salary, and he is on a team that does not have a lot of cap space. So we'll see how that goes. But it's nice to know that like. Like, Samsonov is a legit fantasy option. And how about this one? Uh, news actually just came out a few hours before we started recor- recording this uh, from Igor Aranko on Twitter, who tweeted, Long awaited in New York Islanders, goalie Ilya Sorokin refused to sign an extension with his KHL club and is set to sign with the Islanders right after his current contract expires on April 30th. I don't know how much you know about this guy, Kat. Uh, do you know enough to say that he's ready to pull a Shostyorkin or that he should be more of a backup like Samsonov was in his rookie season? Where would you set expectations for Ilya Sorokin if indeed this report does come true that he signs with the Islanders and is ready to play? I think that it comes down to what he wants at this point because he has a very good situation going in a, with CSK, right? I think... Um, I believe he was in a really good tandem situation there with Magnus Helberg. Maybe this year, maybe last year. Um, he's had just a really fantastic, uh, fantastic environment for developing over in Russia. And I think that um, he's not necessarily planning to come over unless he's coming over to the NHL. Um, maybe you keep around Thomas Grice for a bit, but I think that, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a secret that they signed, that the Islanders signed uh, Semyon Varlamov to, to sort of entice Ilya Sorokin to come. They're friends. They train together. He knows him very well. Uh, Samsonov is kind of a mentor, or Varlamov, sorry, is kind of a mentor to Sorokin. Uh, so you assume that's the goalie they keep, right? They have Varlamov and Sorokin. Maybe you keep Thomas Grice to start. And once again, like the Markstrom situation, you use him as a trade chip when it's time to call Sorokin up. But I think that's coming very soon. I think that if it doesn't come to start next year, it'll be at least in the middle of the year. Maybe next year at the latest. Okay, but so we're not looking. We're not looking two to three years out. Right. So Sorokin is just about ready, and there's nobody like you said in the Islanders' crease who's really so worth sticking with rather than giving Sorokin a shot. So as a as a big summary here, if I had to ask you your top fantasy choice between Samsonov, Shestyorkin, Carter Hart. Tristan Jari. I'm not going to add Ilya Sorokin because I think you just sort of clarified he's not quite in these guys' leagues, but between Samsonov, Shostyorkin, Hart, and Jari, if you're in a league that counts wins and saves and save percentage, who is your top choice? Who do you think is going to have the best performance next season? I think that in terms of save percentage, Shostyorkin. Easy. But I'm not super confident in that Rangers blue line. So if we're looking at wins too, I kind of want to say Tristan Jari. But the thing is, I think Carter Hart is in the position to succeed the most. But it's Philadelphia. I don't know if I'd ever be confident in Philadelphia. Yeah, they, I mean, they ended their season so well 
And like, it was just really getting exciting for the Flyers, but I guess it wasn't enough to to win you over and think they can do it over 82 games, which is totally fair. When we see them do it over 82 games once, I will immediately jump on board. I'll be their biggest advocate. I'll be banging their drums so hard. I'll be like shouting Carter Hart's name from the rooftops, but they haven't even done it once. Yeah, fair enough. I just want to see once a full 82 game season with consistency and help in net and with the rest of the team supporting them because I mean for part of the year they looked like what the Coyotes are looking like at the end of this year goaltending looked fine nobody was scoring it's just so nice to have so many exciting options to look forward to when hockey starts again right like there's a like I'm so excited now to see how these young guys perform see which of those older uh, apparent incumbents can earn back their jobs or are just going to lose them forever. All this will see play out when hockey returns. I can't wait for it. In the meantime, Kat, thank you for sharing all your goaltending knowledge and takes with us. We really, really appreciate it. It was amazing having you on the show and uh, tapping into your wealth of knowledge. If anybody else wants to continue tapping into that wealth of knowledge, uh, where can they find you on Twitter and where, where else can they find you? What else are you doing? So I would recommend they, they follow me on Twitter um, at Katam Silverman because uh, I have a few projects that I'm working on um, that I'm not going to say anything about yet. But I'm, I had at least one project that I had to freeze um, because it was dependent on the end of the season. And so now there's nothing there. Um, but I have a couple things that I'm working on that over the next couple weeks I'll be rolling out um, that they'll be able to find on Twitter. Um and they can also find fun pictures of my daughter, which is at this point as we're all on lockdown, like that's the most fun thing, right? So I keep I keep taking pictures of her uh, doing fun things in isolation. So that's that's really the best thing right now that I can offer people. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll take what we can get, and you know what, Kat, it'll be really great to put a face to the voice that uh, has accompanied you throughout this show and, uh, and and just get to know that person a little bit more. So thanks, uh, thanks to you and your daughter for letting you in, in this uh, stay-at-home situation. Come on the show. It was great to have you. We'll have to do it again another time. Again, that's at Kat M. Silverman on Twitter. And that wraps up this week's episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. If you liked what you heard, head on over to iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. It's a good deed that you can do for us as we continue giving you content through a time where we all miss hockey so, so dearly. I should also mention that you can follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Get in touch with us there with your feedback on the show, suggestions for future episodes and guests, and of course, you can ask us questions about your fantasy team. And if you really like us, how about signing up as a patron? We just ask for a buck a month from you, that's all. And then from us, you'll get access to our patrons-only Facebook group where we answer all the questions have all the hockey discussions all the time and where Stream Scheme Dave has actually kicked off our official off-season patron rankings proceedings so you can get in on that. You'll also get a bonus patron cast each month. You can watch us record episodes live and of course most importantly you'll also get that warm fuzzy feeling you get deep down when you're supporting something you like. To find out more patreon.com slash keeping Carlson and then finally I'm just going to mention that our next episode is coming 
in one or two weeks. We're not sure yet. We're just in the process of lining up all the pieces for a big project that we're about to embark on. As soon as we record that first piece, it'll be there in your feed for your enjoyment. But okay, with that all said, it's time to close out the show. So let's cue up that outro music and Brian, read us the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest one, Eric, who is like another Eric. We've had a couple of Eric's in the last couple weeks. All Eric's are welcome in our patron group. Logo art by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach, and this episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Hockey Reference, Natural Statric, and Evolving Wild. Thanks again to Kat Silverman for joining us. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, keep on keeping Carl Sun.